Andrew Womack Ministries presents part three in the How to Fulfill God's Will series, a five-part album. This message is titled, What About Your Values? We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to Romans chapter one. And again, let me just set this up that I've been talking about how to find God's will how to follow God's will. And then this week I'm talking about how to fulfill God's will. And in the two previous times, I've talked about that it's one thing to start serving God, but to finish your life serving God is rare. More people start with God than finish with God. And even though I don't want to say anything negative, I'm just trying to be realistic and to tell you that I see this all of the time. If this is a typical group, and it's probably not typical, this isn't your nod to God crowd. This is Friday night. You aren't getting credit for this. And so you're pretty much a fanatic if you're here or you were drugged here by a fanatic. But if this was a typical group, there will be... Uh, percentage, a large percentage of people that are here tonight seeking God, desiring God, but life will get in the way and you'll get hurt along the way. And I mean, there are lots of people that fall by the wayside and don't end up passionate for the Lord. I've seen it. I've seen it out of people that I didn't expect it from. I've seen it from people who are very good friends, who people that I just did not anticipate it. And yet Satan, we have an enemy that's going about seeking whom he may devour. And I tell you, if you haven't realized it, it's not easy to finish your course and fulfill what God has called you to do. You have to be determined and there are things that you need to learn. There's a lot of people that lose the race because they just aren't anticipating problems and they don't seek the Lord. And like that uh, teaching series I was talking about, Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14, Rehoboam did evil because he wasn't prepared to serve the Lord. You've got to prepare your heart. It takes some effort. It's like supper. You don't just sit there and and throw it together and the ingredients don't come together. A cake doesn't make itself. You have to fix it. You have to prepare it. You have to mix these things together. There are things you have to do to be able to finish your course. And so that's what we've been talking about. Last night I talked about obedience and how important it is. Today I talked about patience and how patience comes when you look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. I use um, Peter and Elijah as negative examples. Peter started walking on the water, but when he got right up to Jesus, was within reaching distance, he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the wind and the waves and he began to sink. And then Elijah is a man who called fire down out of heaven, saw people raised from the dead, saw a revival, did all of these great things, but he got to thinking, look what I have done. I'm better than other people. And when he did that, he took his eyes off of God and a woman with a note scared him and he ran and he did not fulfill God's will. Two thirds of the things that God spoke to Elijah in an audible voice, he failed to do. That's amazing. And let me just put in a PS. I said this this morning, but it's really important that you understand this. When I say things like this, most of us come from a legalistic background to where God's going to curse you and hurt you and do something to you if you mess up. And we feel like he, he punishes us and does things like this. God didn't punish Elijah. Elijah didn't fulfill his mission. And because of it, Naboth died. 
by a king who shouldn't have been in power if Elijah would have done what God told him to do. People died in the city of Samaria and they actually ate their own children and had to eat their own dung and sold their own dung for high prices. People were in straits because Elijah did not obey God, but God wasn't mad at him. God still loved him. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah was caught up into heaven in a whirlwind and didn't die. He was translated into heaven. One of only two people in the recorded Bible. So God still loved him. And God was dealing with him by grace. Even though he didn't fulfill God's will, he was still blessed. But I was making this point that it's not about you just being blessed. God wants to use you. And if you want to be used, if you want to fulfill God's will and get everything out of you that God put in you for other people, you're going to have to learn to be obedient and you're going to have to finish your course and you're going to have to do what God tells you to do. So it's not just about you being blessed. Yes, God loves you. And you don't have to live a godly life and fulfill everything that God called you to do. You know, if I was to stop right now, there are multitudes of people that would condemn me and talk about, isn't it tragic what Andrew did? And Andrew just got tired and quit. And man, he still had a lot to do and God had plans for him. And there's people that would condemn me. But you know what? God would still love me. God would bless me. I would have rewards for what I've already done. And God would bless me in spite of who I am. And God would love me. And if, you know, like Elijah, I could still be translated into heaven. It wouldn't affect God's love towards me. But man, there are things God has for me to do that I don't want to, Satan to sidetrack me and stop them from happening. There are people's lives that need to be touched. There's things I've got to do. And I am not willing to just sit here and think about myself and bask in the fact that God loves me. I want to see God's love flow through me and his will for my life accomplished. And to do that, I've got to obey and I've got to stay on track and there's things that I have to do. Amen. And what I want to share with you tonight, this will be powerful and I'm going to take probably more than tonight. I'll go into tomorrow on this also. And like I said, I've got five teachings on this that go into more detail. So I'm just going to be hitting some of the highlights. But in Romans chapter 1, the Lord said some things here that are just tremendous. In verse 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I haven't got time to teach on that, but that's a radical statement. The word gospel has become a religious cliche to us, and when we say it, People use the word gospel to refer to all of the condemnation and the guilt and the terrible things that religion is teaching, and it's not gospel. The word gospel means good news, and I haven't got time to teach on it, but it really is even more than just good news. It's nearly too good to be true news. It's just over the top, and nothing about religion is good news. It just binds people. It just causes problems. When Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it wasn't a cliche in his day. And people were shocked and said, you can't tell people that God's good. They won't serve him out of goodness. They got to serve him out of fear. They got to be afraid that they're going to go to hell and they won't get their prayer answered if they don't fast and pray. And if they don't tithe, God's going to take that money from them. And you got to use negative motivation to get people to do what's right. That was the people of his day. And so when Paul said... 
that he's not afraid of the gospel. He knew that there was going to be this criticism. And so in the next verse, in verse 18, this is Romans chapter one. And in verse 18, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who hold the truth and unrighteousness. If you look this up in the Greek, it actually, the tenses of this means it is already revealed. The wrath of God is already revealed. It's on the inside of people is what it goes on to say in these next verses. In other words, Paul is saying, look, you don't have to tell people that God is holy and they're unholy. There's an intuitive knowledge. People already know that they're fearful. They know that they are not what they should be. Now there's people that will debate that, but I can guarantee you, you stick a gun to a person's head or you tell them you're going to die. And you know what? People will go, Oh God. And they're afraid to meet God. They know in their heart. You look in the Bible and I could, I could spend hours verifying all of this stuff. But in the Bible, when people saw God, they fell on their face and they said, woe is me for I'm an unclean man. I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. When you get into the presence of God, you know in your heart. There are people today that have spent so much time in the carnal, natural realm that they have denied their heart and they have hardened themselves to it, like that book I've got on hardness of heart. And they don't spend much time thinking about it. And so they'll get into these mind games and tell you, oh, I have no conviction about living like an animal and doing the things that I do. And there's nothing wrong. And I don't feel bad about it. That's not the truth. In their heart, God has already revealed himself. And they know in their heart that it's wrong. This is why people don't want to be still. It says in Psalms 46:10, be still and know that I am God. The reason people don't want to be still, they got to have the television on. They got to have music going. They got to have something going. People just can't sit still. They say, I'm bored and they got to go do something. The reason they can't be still is because if you get still and quiet, this little homing device that God placed on the inside of every person starts beeping and going off and saying, is this all there is? I'm not content. There's got to be something more and people don't like this. And so they just drowned it out and get the music and all of the background noise louder. You know, I remember when I was in Washington, D.C. and I was walking on these, um, oh, I don't know what you call them. They're trails in between the Washington Monument and the Capitol. And I was going to all of these places and it's covered with gravel. And as I was walking, I knew that I should be making noise. Because I was walking on gravel. You should have been able to hear. But I honestly listened and I couldn't hear a single thing. It was like it was just totally quiet. And I thought, this is really unusual. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then we left from there and went straight to the Shenandoah National Park. And I walked on the Appalachian Trail. And I was out there and I mean every footstep, it was like it was loud. It was like it could be heard a long distance. And I got to thinking, and you know what the deal was? The, amb the uh, ambient noise in Washington, D.C., there were so many trains and there was so many traffic and so much plane and there was people and loudspeakers and the, the outside noise was so loud that you couldn't hear yourself walking on this gravel. But when you got out on the Appalachian Trail and there was nothing there, it sounded really loud. 
And the truth is, see, that just like that, your heart is speaking to you 24 hours a day, every minute of every day. God has revealed himself to you, but the noise of this world just drowns out this still, small voice that's on the inside of us. And this is what Paul is beginning to say. He said, for the wrath of God has already been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of man. Not some of it, not a lot of it, not for Christian people, not just for people that live in the United States. Every sin, all unrighteousness, all ungodliness that is ever committed on the earth There is something on the inside of a person that knows it's wrong. Now you can deaden yourself to it and the rest of this chapter goes on and talks about how you deaden yourself and get calloused to the voice of God. But this is on the inside of every single person. Every single person. The next verse says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath revealed it unto them. You don't have to have somebody come tell you about God. There is an intuitive knowledge of God on the inside of every person. And some of you may think, oh, I didn't know anything about God. No, the truth is you did. When you were young, you were innocent and and God was speaking to you. And every person in here at one time knew that there was only one God and you are not him. Every person knows that. But you know what? After a while, you can get so off into weirdness and get to where you live out of your mind instead of out of your heart that you can harden yourself and you can look back and think, well, I never knew there was a God. No, you knew there was a God from the time you were a little kid. You'll hear some people, I had people in Vietnam tell me that they were atheists and they said, there is no God. And I said, you know better. And they said, no, I don't have any conviction. And they'd stand there and they'd curse God and say, God, if you're real, come strike me dead. And they'd do things like that and saying, see, I have no fear of God, nothing. And I told this one guy one time, I said, you know, that's like a grasshopper standing on a railroad track and saying, if there's really a train, then run over me and kill me. And I said, you're so insignificant. Do you think that they're going to send a train out here to run over a grasshopper? I said, here you are saying, God, if there's a God, kill me. I said, man, who are you to think that God is going to stop everything to come strike you with lightning? And, and these people would say, there isn't a God. I don't believe that there's a God. But you know what? When the bombs got to dropping and the bullets were flying, the atheists were going, God, help me. They were crying out to God. It's a mind game. There may be somebody in this auditorium says, I don't believe there's a God. You aren't telling the truth. I stick a gun to your head and you'll say, God. I quit arguing with people about whether there or not there's a God. You can't argue a person into it in their head. In their heart, every one of us knows that there's a God. There are no exceptions to this. You can go into the countries that the communists tried to obliterate the mention of God. Albania, they took the crosses off of the gravestones. It was against the law to mention God, to mention Jesus. They outlawed Christianity. And then when the Iron Curtain fell and stuff, did you know that there were hundreds, thousands of people that they all knew there was a God and they were hungry and there's a huge revival going on in Albania. We were in Romania just one month after Ceausescu was killed and it was against the law to be a Christian and they said that there was no God. It was an atheistic state. We were there one month 
after Ceausescu was killed and we had 10,000 Bibles and we stood on a street corner and gave out 10,000 Bibles in four and a half minutes. The people came and took them and they cried and thanked us. They knew there was a God. They may not have known him, but they knew in their heart. And this is what this is saying. And then in verse 20, it says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, not opaquely seen. They're clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. This is what the Bible says. Some people will tell you, I have no conviction. They're lying. They're either lying or the rest of this chapter goes on and says that even though this is true and every person at one time had a revelation from God, you can harden yourself towards it and you can push God away. And if you push far enough, you can become what the Bible here in uh, down here in one of these verses uh, uh, says that you become reprobate. That means that God takes all conviction away from you. In John chapter 6, verse 44, it says, No man can come unto the Father except the Spirit draw him. If the Holy Spirit quits dealing with you and drawing you, you are damned. You have no ability. Human nature will keep you from seeking after God and understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural man talking about, it doesn't matter if you're Christian or non-Christian, just the natural you, the part of you that's not born again, the natural man uh, understands not the things of the Spirit of God, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. You have to have the Holy Spirit reveal God unto you. You can't figure it out on your own. It comes by revelation. This is why some people read in the Bible and they say the Bible is so hard to understand because they're reading it with their peanut brain. The Bible's not written to your brain. It's written to your heart. Now you read it with your brain, but it has to be your heart that enlightens it. It has to be the Holy Spirit that gives you revelation of it. And there are some people trying to figure God out. You can't figure him out. But if you would sit there and respond, he will teach you and show you in your heart and you can know that there is a God. You can clearly see it to where you understand that there is a Godhead. That's talking about more than just the Father. You can understand Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. You can understand that God is manifest in more than just one way. You can understand things even like the Trinity so that there is no excuse. There is going to be no person ever stand before God that says, God, it wasn't fair. I didn't know that you existed. There is no such thing. Every person that's ever breathed on this planet, if they were a deaf mute and never heard a person say anything and never had any contact with anybody else in their heart, they knew that there was a God. Psalms chapter 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. His firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech. There is no language. There is no tongue where this voice hasn't gone forth. It doesn't matter who they are. Every person has ever lived on the face of the earth has this intuitive knowledge that there is a God and they understand him so that they are without excuse. Nobody, nobody has an excuse. All of those things I've said are true. But then in verse 21, and this is the verse I've been working towards. 
verse 21 tells you that even though all of this is true, you can harden yourself. You can reject it. You can walk away from the things of God. It doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen quickly. It takes time to become as dull and insensitive to God as we hear and see people being today. It's taken hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times of denying that simple witness of God in our heart for people to become insensitive to God. But it can be done. And this begins to describe the process. And so what I want to do is say that if, if at one time all of us had a sensitivity to God, like you can take a little kid. And you know what? Little kids just love God. They're simple. Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you can't even enter into the kingdom of God. Little children are just trusting and they believe and they open up their heart and they can receive. At one time, every one of you was open to God. Every one of you knew God at one time. But there are things you can do to stop that and to hinder it and reverse it. And you know, this is what I was saying earlier. I believe in revival. But I don't believe that revival is up to God and God just touches you and all of a sudden everything has changed. You're the one that controls revival. You have to open your heart up. And if you want to harden yourself, God is a gentleman. He won't force himself into your life. He will not make you serve him. He will not make you believe. You have to seek it. You have to pursue God. And if you don't pursue him, he will not be found. It says over in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, that's a real popular verse. It says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And the next verse says uh, in verse 12, have you got that? Then shall ye call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. And then verse 13 says, you shall seek me and you shall find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart not part of your heart, not just say, God, I got five minutes before I've got to go watch television and I'll give you five minutes. And if you'll change my life in the next five minutes, I'll serve you. No, you got to search with all of your heart. And so you have to pursue the things of God. You have to do things. And most of us, we would love to have God intervene in our life, but only if it's convenient, if it doesn't get in the way of your sports, if it doesn't get in the way of your crossword puzzle or in, you know, you've got other things to do. You aren't seeking with all of your heart. And that's the reason that you haven't seen God manifest himself more. You've got to pursue this. And if you don't pursue it, well, then your heart begins to start becoming progressively harder and harder and harder towards God. And in the context of what I've been talking about this week, you will not reach your destination. You won't fulfill God's will for your life if you allow your heart to become hardened towards God. So this describes how it happens. And what I'm saying is, if you can find out how your heart begins to start being hardened, how you walk away from God, how you get desensitized to God, then all you got to do is reverse this and say, man, I'm never doing these things. And if you don't do those things, and if you fight against this, then it will keep you on the straight and narrow. It will keep your heart sensitive to God, and you will fulfill your course. So I'm going to take these things here in Romans 1.21 and reverse them and talk about how you can do these things and keep your heart sensitive to God. So he started listening in, listing in verse 21 the progressive steps that people take away from God. And I believe that these are in order. 
This, the first thing that happens, it says, because when they knew God, and again, everybody at one time knew God, but when they had this revelation, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Boy, they, those are powerful things. And I've got, like I said, five teachings that go into this for about six and a half hours worth. I'm just going to pick a few things out of this, but I encourage you to get that teaching because this is really powerful. But the very first thing when it says they, they didn't glorify him as God, what does that mean? The word that was used here, the Greek word for glorify, literally means, according to the Strong's definition, it means to render our esteem glorious. And when I first read that, I thought, that's using the same word to define that word. I didn't understand it. I didn't get anything out of it. So what I did, I went to a dictionary and I began to look up the words render and esteem. And when I got to the word esteem, the word esteem means to value or prize. And when I saw that, boy, God spoke some things to me and really began to reveal some things to me. And so here's a point I want to get across is that God, let's just say that you found God's will, that you know what God's will is, that you've started following God's will. But you know what Satan will try and do? He will try and change the value. Boy, listen to what I'm saying. This, this could change your life. He will try and devalue the things that God has spoken to you. He will try and get you to decrease the value, the esteem, the worth that you place on the things of God. One of the ways that he does this is because we live in a carnal world, a fallen world where other people don't value the things of God the way that we do. So you go to work, you go to family gatherings, you just watch television and on and on. And we have values, things that God has told us to do that are important to us. But the whole world around us is living by a different standard. They devalue the things of God. They say that morality is not important. You know, I saw a stat just this last week or, or so that said that over 50% or around 50% of people in the United States aren't even married. They don't value marriage today. You know what? God values marriage. I've actually had some Christians come and say, well, there's nowhere in the Bible that it talks about that you got to have a piece of paper. You just, you know, if you marry this person, if you're shacking up with them, that's marriage in the sight of God. Adam and Eve didn't have a wedding ceremony. But you know what? Jesus said this in the fourth chapter of the book of John when he was talking to the woman at the well. He said, go call your husband. And she said, I have no husband. And he said, you have rightly said I have no husband because you've had five husbands and the one you're shacking up with is not your husband. He said just having a physical relationship is not marriage. He says, they were, you know that she was living with this guy and what they were doing and yet Jesus didn't call that marriage. No, there is something about making a commitment, being official and making a commitment. And you know, if you are, are living with somebody and saying it doesn't matter. I guarantee you there's a reason why they don't want to commit themselves and get a piece of paper because they aren't committed. They're thinking if this doesn't work out, I can just walk off and leave this. There isn't a commitment. 
God's values are different than this world's values. But see, we are being so inundated. We, the Christians are watching the same junk that unbelievers are watching. We read the same junk that unbelievers watch. We use the same things for entertainment. And then we wonder, why is it that the church is becoming more and more like the world? Whatever you focus your attention on is going to dominate you. And what I'm saying is, God has put certain values in your heart. If you're truly born again, God is drawing you towards Him. The Holy Spirit is drawing you into intimacy. But the world is saying, man, God's a crock. He doesn't even exist. None of these things are real. You know, we testified about the lady that got out of the wheelchair and that walked for 40 minutes tonight. And we talked about people that have had their hearing open and things like that. I've seen people raised from the dead. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen every type of miracle you can imagine happen. And I have people come to me and say, hey, if this is real, why don't you go on television? Why don't you? Well, I am on television, by the way. And I am saying this. But people say, why don't you go on the news? And how come this doesn't get put on the news? Why don't you verify all of this stuff? Because the world doesn't believe this. They don't value this. They cannot accept it. They will sit there and they'll try and find a way out of it. There's probably people right here in this room that when Melinda gave the testimony about the woman that walked for 40 minutes, they thought, well, she must not have been really that bad. You don't believe it. There were people that saw Lazarus raised from the dead. They saw him. He'd been dead for four days. He stunk. His body was already in decay. And he was wrapped head to toe in grave clothes. He couldn't walk. They didn't wrap each leg individually. They wrapped both legs together. He was wrapped in grave clothes and yet he came and stood at the front of the tomb. That means that God just supernaturally translated him out there. He couldn't walk. They saw a corpse raised from the dead and there's people that didn't believe it and went out and tried to take counsel how they could kill Jesus and Lazarus. I'm telling you, if you have a heart to disbelieve, you won't believe though you saw one raised from the dead is what they told the rich ruler. He says, they won't believe it. They don't believe Moses and the prophets. They won't believe though one rose from the dead. There are people today that don't value things and they are going to sit there and they're going to find some way to believe all oh, this wasn't real. This person wasn't really deaf. This person wasn't really blind. There are people that whatever happened, if you have a tremendous experience with the Lord this week, and if you go back to your job on Monday, did you know Satan is going to parade people by you that will try and devalue what you say? If you were to stand and say, boy, God spoke to me and I saw some things and I am, I've made a commitment of my life. Last night we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people say that God had spoken things to them that they haven't acted on and they stood and made a commitment that I'm going to do what God told me to do. And so now you've placed value on God's word and what he told you to do. I can guarantee you, you're going to have family, friends, work associates or something that if you get around them and if you were to tell them what happened to you, they would, they would laugh at you. They would devalue it. And Satan is going to try and change the value that you place on the things of God. And it's just like a seesaw or a teeter-totter. That if you are valuing God up here, then everything else and everybody else's opinion down here is going to be relative like this. But if you start accepting the value of other people and you start accepting their idea, then your value, your esteem on the things of God decreases. They can't both be up here at the same time. You can't value God and value other people and their opinion at the same time. 
The Bible says in, uh, I believe it's John chapter 4, verse 20 or 44. It could be John 4, 44 or 5, 44. But Jesus was talking to people who were criticizing him. And he says, how can you believe which receive honor one from another and seek not the honor that comes from God alone? Jesus is saying it's impossible to really believe if you're a man pleaser. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 says the fear of man brings a snare. And you know the truth is that most of us are so codependent upon people because you can see them. We can't see God and it takes faith to recognize God. Most of us are more carnal than we are spiritual. And because people can reject us and ridicule us and say things, most of us will esteem, value, glorify other people's opinion more than we do God. And the moment you start doing that, what God has spoken to you, you have quit glorifying it. And that is the first step to numbing yourself to the things of God. That's the first step to diminish the impact of God in your life is to start worrying about what other people have to say. Man, now that is powerful. And this is one thing that keeps people from fulfilling God's will. There are people that God reveals himself to. They start following him. But I can guarantee you, if you live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. Second. Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 says, All those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If nobody's persecuted you, it's because you aren't godly. Was that too subtle? Anybody miss that? If you never bump into the devil, it's because you and the devil are both heading in the same direction. If you turn around and start going against the flow, you're going to meet resistance. You will have persecution. People will come out against you. And if you are more concerned about being approved by people than you are by God, then you're going to quit glorifying God. You will diminish the worth and the value that you place on God. And the moment you do that, your heart starts getting hard and insensitive and you start losing the joy. Again, I know that some of you have been touched. I've had some people come up to me this week and, man, you are just fired up. God has healed you. You're excited. But then you go back into the world and there's going to be people come out against you. And the whole thing is to try and get you to quit glorifying and putting the same worth and value. It's easy here because we're all here and we're seeking the Lord and we're singing about the Lord. And you're among fellow believers that have similar values and so you sing and shout and dance. But do you do this at work? Will you do it if somebody didn't understand? Will you stand up and say, oh yeah, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit and I speak in tongues. If other people don't value that, you know, most Christians would cave in because you are, you are really into glorifying other people's opinion. I had a man that uh, was a friend of mine and we were hiking up Pikes Peak and we had a mutual friend who, I say friend, he, he was a friend. He loved us in one sense, but on the other hand, he just criticized us all the time. And he criticized both of us. And he said some really hurtful things about us, but when we were around him, he was just sweet and everything was fine. And so anyway, we had had this discussion before and talked about this and, 
And anyway, he was really bothered by it. And so as we were hiking up Pikes Peak, he started telling me the latest thing that this pastor had said about us and how he had been dishing on us and, and things. And he started telling me all this. And I said, look, I just don't want to hear it. I said, we've, we've talked about this before. I know that this guy doesn't like you and me and he says things about us. I said, I just don't care to hear it. So he stopped for a second and then he started to say something. I said, I don't want to talk about it. So he stopped and then he finally looked at me and he says, why doesn't what he say about you bother you the way it bothers me? And I said, because I don't value his opinion the way you do. That's a great truth right there. The only people that will ever let you down are the ones that you lean on. If you would get to where you value God, and it's not that you want to offend people or you don't care about them, but you don't have to have people stroke you and pat you on the back to feel good about yourself. You are basking in the fact that your heavenly father loves you. And if you could ever get to that place, you know what, where you live, that you glorify God and what he says is is important. And if other people criticize you, you don't like it, but it's not going to bother you. It's not going to keep you up at night. You just don't esteem it the way you do the things of God. That is one of the greatest things you can do to keep on track and to fulfill your destiny. Because I guarantee you, before you can fulfill these other things that are listed in Romans 121, you've got to, first of all, quit glorifying God, valuing, esteeming, prizing what he has said in your life. You know, my own personal testimony is that I got born again when I was eight years old, but when I was 18, I had an encounter with God where he revealed himself to me. And I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me. I could spend hours talking about that, but it just transformed my life. I encountered God on a Saturday night, March the 23rd, 1968. And my life was instantly changed. And on Sunday morning, I got up in front of my church and I began to start telling them, I said, I don't know what happened, but I encountered God. I said, God changed my life. I'll never be the same. And you know, I didn't even understand things, but I knew. I said, I'll never, ever, ever, ever rededicate my life again. Some people thought, well, that's terrible. You know, before that time, if I'd have had a rededicator, I'd have broken mine. I'd have worn it out. We'd have a revival service and they'd give an invitation and I'd go down every night and rededicate my life. I was constantly realizing that I was missing something and that there was more. And I rededicated myself every time they gave an invitation. But man, I gave everything I had to God and I knew that there wasn't anything left to give. And I'd never have to rededicate. Now, does that mean that I've never made a mistake and that I've always done things holy? No, but I guarantee you, I have never intentionally walked away from this. I gave God everything I had. And I'm I'm a human. There's a part of me that wasn't born again and redeemed my flesh and I still make mistakes, but I guarantee you it has been my passion since I was 18 years old to live for God with everything I've got and I have never backed off of it. So I told the people, I said, I never have to rededicate myself. I said, I was filled with the Spirit. I didn't know what else to call it. I'd never heard the term filled with the Spirit except reading it in the Bible I'd never heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it was the best way I could describe it. I was filled with something besides me, amen. It was the Holy Spirit. And I stood up and told him, I'm filled with the Spirit. I didn't mean anything bad by it. I just was trying to describe what had happened. 
Boy, they jumped on me like a chicken on a June bug. I had the pastor tell me, who do you think you are? The apostle Paul was filled with the spirit. Peter was filled with the spirit. Are you saying you're like an apostle? Are you somebody special? Are you better than the rest of us? I didn't know what, I didn't mean anything by it. I was just trying to tell him what happened. But you know, here I was, I was glorifying God and saying, God's awesome. God has touched my life. I'll never be the same. I'm filled with the spirit. And immediately here come a, uh, an authority figure trying to get me to value his opinion and to say, but who are you? I've been to cemetery. I mean, seminary. I know about all of these things. And you should value my opinion. How dare you say that? See, it was trying to get me to glorify and to magnify and value his opinion because who was I? I was an 18 year old kid. But you know, by the grace of God, I don't understand. I just was so excited. I had encountered God and I didn't understand it with my head, but I knew that I knew that I knew that God had touched me and I wasn't going to back off of it. And I remember looking at the pastor and I said, whoa, you, you've taken an offense where none's intended. I don't know what's going on, but I'm telling you, I'm filled with the spirit. I just kept glorifying God. I kept what God said about me up there. And because of that, everybody else's opinion was relatively low within a very short period of time. I had people start telling me that I was of the devil and God told me to quit school and other things. And because I quit school, I had people that started fighting against me and telling me that this is of the devil. God would never tell you to do any of those things. And when the Lord spoke to me about quitting school, my mother thought that I had lost my mind because at that time I was getting $350 a month from the government if I stayed in school. I had social security payments coming from my uh, father's death and I was being paid to stay in school. I had a deferment from the draft if I stayed in school and just on and on. My family thought that school was everything. I'm the first person in generations that didn't graduate from college. And when I said that God told me to quit school because I was just committed to following him with my whole heart, Man, I had people tell me this is of the devil and you're of the devil. And they were people, I was just brand new in the Lord. And here they were spiritual people, people that had been my mentors before this, the youth leader of the church, the pastor of the church, friends, relatives, everybody told me I was of the devil and that I was missing God. And you know what all of this was? It was an attempt for me to say, am I going to value what I feel in my heart and what God has said to me? Or am I going to value what other people say? If I would have started valuing their opinion and started doubting what I felt in my heart, then I would have quit glorifying God. And that would have been the first step to me losing the fullness and the joy and the victory that I had through that experience with the Lord. But by the grace of God, I just kept saying, I didn't understand much, but I just knew that I knew that I knew that I had encountered God. And I just remember it was like water off a duck's back. I said, I don't know what your problem is, but I know that God has spoken to me. And it's a long, long story. I won't go into all of it. But one example is that after I had quit school, I got reclassified and sent for my draft physical and uh, I passed my physical. And so they reclassified me 1A. And I had a recruiter come to my house. You got to remember, I was 18 years old. Here comes a 30-something-year-old man dressed in a military uniform to my house, an authority figure. 
And he comes and he sits down at my table and he opens up his briefcase and he spreads out all of these pamphlets and he says, I want to show you all of the benefits of you volunteering for the draft instead of being drafted. He says, we may be able to keep you from going to Vietnam and you could get this assignment and stuff. And he started his spiel. And I just stopped him and I said, look, I can save both of us a lot of time. And he says, what's that? And I said, the reason I'm classified 1A and that you're here is because I quit school and I lost my student deferment. And he said, that's right. And I said, but you see, God told me to quit school. So I'm following God. And if God wants me to be drafted, I'll be drafted. And if he doesn't, I won't. And you know what this guy did? He broke out laughing. He started laughing and he said, boy, I can guarantee you, you're going to Vietnam. And you know, when he did that, here I was valuing God and saying, God is important in my life. God's will is more important to me than anything else. God spoke to me and I believed God and I believed God was all powerful. I believed God was supreme. I had value and worth on God. Here was another person that had zero worth on God. He says, I'm representing the United States government. Who is God compared to me? And you know what? When that came across and he said, I can guarantee you, you're going to Vietnam. Boy, anger rose up on the inside of me. I was an 18 year old boy talking to a guy who had the power to get me drafted. And I stood up and I put my finger in his chest like this. And I started punching him and I said, buddy, if God wants me drafted, I'll be drafted. And if he doesn't, you or the United States government or every demon in hell can't draft me. <laughs> you know what I was doing? I was saying, I still value God and his opinion and what he says more than you. And when I did that, this guy just looked at me. He folded up all of his papers. He put them in his briefcase and he walked out the door, never said a word. And you know, the very next morning, I got my draft notice in the mail. And I didn't think about it then. I would have loved to have seen if it had a postmark on it or a stamp. I bet you what happened. That guy probably went down and processed my papers and stuck the draft notice in my mailbox. I don't know. But I didn't care because I was trusting God. And you know what? In hindsight, Vietnam's the best thing that ever happened to me. Because I was a Baptist when I went to Vietnam. And when I came out, I had spent 15 hours a day for, for uh, 19 months studying the word and I didn't intend to do it, but they didn't want me in the Baptist church when I came out. My theology had changed and they kicked me out and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Amen. It was a good deal. It was my Bible school. But you see what I'm saying? Here I was valuing God and here comes an authority figure that if I would have started valuing his opinion, I would have quit glorifying God. And before I know it, I would have felt like, God, what happened to that experience where I knew that you loved me and that you spoke to me and that you changed my life? And I would have said, God, where is it? God, move again. God, help me to get it back. See, there's a lot of people that when they run into a dry spell, when they don't feel the love of God, instead of them recognizing it's because they shut the spigot off. They're the ones that stop the flow. They go back and they say, oh God, what happened? Did I displease you? Have you quit? Oh God, show me your love. 
I have people come to me all the time and says, brother, would you pray for me that God would just reveal his love to me and that I could feel his love? And no, I won't pray that. And a lot of you think, well, what's wrong with that? You are supposing that it's God that shut off the spigot, that it's God who's not speaking his love. The truth is God is speaking his love to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you aren't feeling the love of God, it's not God who's not giving, it's you that's not receiving. And so if you want to say, I know that God loves me, the Bible makes it very clear, but I'm not feeling it. There's something wrong with me. Would you pray that I would get unclogged and let the love of God flow? I'll pray for that. But for you to pray and say, would you please pray that God would love me? No, I won't pray that because God already loves you. There's nothing I can do to motivate God to love you more. That's like when people come and say, would you please pray that God loves... I had a woman come up and she said, I've been praying for my husband for 20 years and God hadn't answered my prayer, but I believe he'll answer your prayer. Would you pray and ask God to save my husband? And I said, no, I won't pray for God to save your husband. And she was offended at first. She says, why wouldn't you do that? I said, the way you stated this, you believe it's up to God whether your husband gets saved or not. I said, God's already done everything about saving your husband he can do. He's already sent his son. He died. The Holy Spirit is convicting you. And I said, it's not God who doesn't want it. You're thinking that somehow or another, God's just not motivated. I said, God's more motivated for your husband to be saved than you are. You don't need to pray and plead with God to save your husband. I said, but he's got to hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Pray that laborers come across his path. You speak to him. You rebuke the blindness. I said, there's other things we can do, but we do not have to motivate God to save anybody. God is already motivated. But see, this is how most people pray. They think, God, why haven't you saved this person? Because nobody's talked to them. Because nobody's shown them the power of God. They haven't seen a miracle happen. You need to get out and let revival flow through you and see something happen. And people will start getting saved. Miracles will start happening. But see, it's not God who shuts off the spigot. God is on all of the time. It's like speaking in tongues. You know what? I sometimes, if a person comes down here to receive the baptism and if they have an ecstatic experience and they just get overwhelmed and they start speaking in tongues loud and it's like they can't control it, you know what I'll do? I'll stop them. And I'll say, stop. And sometimes they don't want to stop. And I'll just literally, physically stop them and say, stop. Not because I'm upset with them. There's nothing wrong with you being excited. But I'm trying to teach people that you don't have to feel this ecstatic thing because you aren't always going to have a goosebump going up and down your spine. And you need to teach people that, hey, it's great to feel things. That's fine. But you can speak in tongues without just being overwhelmed and caught up into the presence of God. You can just do it. And then when I tell people that, I'll have them stop and then I'll say, all right, now let's speak in tongues again. And I'll have them do it in a calmer tone of voice because you aren't always going to be able to scream and shout and run and roll. And when I do that, I've had people stop me before and they say, so you're saying that I can just turn the Holy Ghost on and off? No. The Holy Ghost is on all of the time. It's you that's on and off. And you can turn you on and start speaking in tongues anytime you want. 
You can keep yourself in the love of God. It's what it says in Jude chapter 1 verse 20. It says, but you beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And then verse 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God. It's up to you whether you are feeling the love of God. It's up to you whether you are happy and joyful. It's not up to God. I have people all the time and say, I've lost my joy. Would you please pray? You know what you're doing? You're advocating responsibility. And you're saying it's up to God whether you feel joy or not. It's not. It's up to you. The Bible says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And on it goes and lists nine things. God has already put this on the inside of you. It's there 24 hours a day. It's always there. If you don't feel joy and love and peace, it's not God who's not given it. It's the fact that you're out here in the flesh. You have valued something else and that is diminished what God has said. And so what you've got to do is reverse the process and go back and start believing the word. Instead of saying, oh God, please touch me and give me joy. It's not God that took it away. He doesn't have it. He gave it to you. You got it. I'm preaching better than you're listening. That's good stuff. This is totally opposite the way most people think. I'm telling you, this, this, well, if you've ever been touched by the Lord, and if you've ever at one time just been so in love with the Lord, but if you aren't now, I can tell you exactly what happened. You started glorifying something other than the Lord. Either another person's opinion or maybe something tragic happened and you started focusing your attention on that. You know, another scripture that goes right along with this is Romans chapter 13, verse 9. Carol, if you'll put that up on the screen, it'll, have, it'll save me having to look it up. It says, uh, for this, that, or is that, no, that's not right. How about Romans chapter 11, verse 13? I may have to look this up. I can find it real quickly. Oh, here it is. Romans eleven thirteen. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. Did you know that the word magnify there, the Greek word is the exact same Greek word that was translated glorify in Romans 1, 21. And so by putting these together, here's another way that you could explain what it means to glorify the Lord. It means to magnify when you place value on God and you focus on what God has done, you know what? It magnifies God. There's a number of scriptures that says, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. How can you magnify God? You know, technically speaking, God is who he is regardless of what you think. If you don't think God's big, it doesn't make him little. It just means that in your mind, he's little. If you don't value him and glorify God, God is still worthy of all praise and he's still almighty in power. He's just not that way to you. It's your value that gets altered. And you know how you magnify him? You magnify him by putting worth and value on him. And when you do that, your mind, if you start thinking about, boy, God spoke to me. God touched me. God has called me. There's a purpose for my life. And if you start thinking that way, you know what it does? It makes God get bigger in your way of thinking. It makes God bigger than cancer, bigger than somebody who passes out or whatever happens. And you get to where you don't fall apart like a $2 suitcase every time something happens. And you go to esteeming God higher than other things. 
And pretty soon God's big and everything else is small and it just changes your entire outlook. Your mind is like a set of binoculars. Whatever you focus your attention on, it starts growing. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the more you think on it, the bigger it gets. Some of you have had some things happen that relatively are insignificant. At least compared to eternity, they're insignificant. There are some of you fighting things right now that a million years from now, it's not going to make any difference. Somebody says a million years from now, we'll all be dead and gone. Yeah, and in eternity, you know, you'll look back and think, what was I so worried about? It's no big deal. There's some of you that the devil puts a little toothpick in your path and you get to magnifying it and focused on it and thinking about it. And pretty soon in your mind, it's this huge uh, two by four and the devil's just beating your brains out with a toothpick. (laughs) I've had people come up to me before and they told me what their problem was and they're just crying. And I have literally bit my lip to keep from laughing. Like, this is it? <laughs> this is what you got upset over? I have worse things than this happen before I get out of bed. <laughs> and yet it's just big because they've magnified it. You can do the, you can reverse that. And you can magnify God. You can get to where you focus on God. You've touched my life. You know, going back to my own personal testimony, there was about eight or nine people in this prayer meeting the night that my life got changed. Every one of us got impacted by God. We all knew that God had been in that room. We were overwhelmed. And my best friend was there. And the next morning we talked about it. We said, we'll never be the same. You know what? There was eight or nine people in there. Today, there's not a one of those people who believe anything significant happened. They are all talked out of it. I'm the only one. Matter of fact, my best friend who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues renounces it today and doesn't even believe it was of God, has backed off of it. None of those people believe in that, and yet we all experience the presence of God. And you know, one of my good friends that I have reestablished relationship with, we've talked about this, and he went through some terrible times and got out of the ministry, actually wound up having a sexual affair and His life has crashed and he had some bad things and he's recovered and God's blessing him and we're good friends. But we talked about it and I I was saying, do you remember this? Do you remember that? Do you remember when God spoke to us? Do you remember that night? This man was caught up into heaven and saw things. He had never, I've never had that happen to me. He was describing to me, he says, I saw these bees. One of them had a face like an eagle. Another one looked like a cow. He had never read the Bible. He didn't know that that was in the book of Revelations. I turned over there and I said, look at this. He says, that's what I saw right there. He'd never read it. He saw things in heaven. He had awesome things happen. And I was recounting and saying, do you remember this? And he finally just stopped me. He says, stop it. I said, what's the matter? And he says, I don't remember any of this stuff. I don't remember things that you remember. You know why he didn't remember it? 
because people came out against him and criticized him. And he was very sensitive to people's opinion. And because of it, he valued their opinion. And what God had done in his life became so low that over a over 42 years period of time, he doesn't even remember things that to me are as fresh as if they happened yesterday. Because I have kept that. I, there hasn't been a day go by that I don't thank God. Thank you, Father, for touching my life. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. I have glorified God and I've thanked him and I've gotten a lot of criticism. I've got hundreds of blogs against me. I've read some that say I'm the most dangerous man in America. People say that I'm of the devil. I've got people that have said terrible things about me. I could glorify that and go over there and suck my thumb and get to thinking about God, look what this person has said about me. But you know, the way I respond is, Father, I don't know what the deal is, but I know that you love me. Thank you that you touched my life. Thank you for touching me. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, that because I have glorified God and put worth and value on it, what God did in my life, March the 23rd, 1968, is just as real, just as powerful. It's more powerful in my life tonight than it was 42 years ago. I've never lost my joy of it. I've never had to go back and say, oh, God, touch me again. I found out that, man, God's not the one that cuts off the spigot. And there's times that I begin to start losing sight of it. There's times that something will happen and I'll begin to start thinking, oh, God, is it worth it? But I've learned what to do. I go back and start glorifying God and thinking about it. And when I do, it just, when I glorify God, everything else falls in relative relationship. And here's another lesson to learn from this. If you recognize that you have let somebody else's opinion or maybe, maybe your business failed and because of that, you put so much worth on it. Oh God, I'm not sure. You elevated that and the moment you did, here comes what God has done in your life. Or if somebody dies or if you fail financially or if something else happens, just life happens to you, all of these things. If you begin to start magnifying and thinking on those things, they raise in value and your opinion of God decreases. If you recognize that that has happened to you and that's the reason that you are, have lost your first love and the reason that you aren't excited about the Lord and the reason that you've lost your momentum, if you recognize that that's the situation... I've also given you the answer. All you got to do is go back and say, Father, forgive me. You have saved me. And at one time, man, I was headed to hell and my life was so messed up and I'll never forget the joy and the peace that I experienced when you first saved me. And you go back and just start glorifying God and say, Father, thank you for filling me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you that I encountered the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Thank you, Father, for touching my life and healing my body and healing my marriage. And you go back and start glorifying the Lord. And as you glorify God and put value on what he's done, all of these other things that have robbed you will start diminishing. And you can, you can go back and refresh yourself anytime you want to be refreshed. You don't have to go to God and say, God, I'm powerless. God, I can do nothing. Would you touch me again? I don't know how many of you listen to Christian music, quote unquote Christian music, but most of it is ungodly to the max. 
And it's talking about, it's basically Christian country and Western. Just whining about losing this. And oh God, I've lost your presence. And God, where did you go? And oh God, touch me again. And I'm desperate for you. God, please touch me. And you just, you're whining and griping and complaining. That's all that most Christian music is. That's the reason I love Charlie and Jill's music. I don't know if you noticed. But Charlie and Jill talk about my favorite thing to do is to spend my time with you. And man, I can hear the sound of revival. It's coming and they glorify God and talk about the good instead of whining about what's going on. All whining does is verify and establish and cement you into the problem you're in. But they talk about all of this stuff and they embrace it like this is the normal Christian life. And everybody goes through these mountaintops and valleys. Well, I will admit that most people go through it, but it's not because God ordained it. It's not the way that God wants it. You can keep yourself as happy as you want to be. If you aren't happy, if you aren't just thrilled with God, it's not God's fault. God isn't the one that's failed. God is awesome. It's because you quit glorifying God and you've started glorifying your problems and talking about all of these things. And every time somebody says, how are you? You tell them what the doctor says instead of what God says. You tell them about all of your hurts and pains. You rehearse it. You go over and over what a person says about you and you mull it over and over and over until it becomes this huge two before and he's just beating your brains out with nothing. I know some people don't like the way I'm preaching because... You're saying, well, you're saying it's my fault. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) And some people get upset with that and say, well, I feel condemned. You shouldn't feel condemned. You ought to feel enlightened like, oh, thank you, Father, that it's not you. Because if God's your fault, if God's the one that ordained you to go through mountaintops and valleys and be like a yo-yo and you can only enjoy his presence for an hour or two and then it wears off, it just... It doesn't have any staying power. It evaporates after a certain period of time. If that's the way that God is, well, then there's no way you can change God. You are destined to a life of up and down and in and out. But to find out that I'm the problem, thank you, Jesus, that I found out I'm the problem because I can fix me. I can change the way I think. I can do something about what I'm doing. And this is awesome. If what I say rubs you the wrong way, it's like when you pet a cat. And if you pet against the hair, against the grain, and if all of their hair stands up, you know how you solve that problem? You just turn the cat around and keep petting, amen. (laughs) And it'll lay down. If what I said rubbed you the wrong way, you know how you fix it? Repent. Turn around. Change your mind. And this will go to feeling good. It'll go to feeling like, praise God, I've got a handle on it. It's not God that's my problem. I quit glorifying God. I quit being thankful. And so you go back and start glorifying God and just rehearsing your victories and talk about how good God is. And as you magnify God, you are exalting Him and everything else, your sickness, your disease, your worry, your hurt, your grief, your pain will begin to diminish as you just think about how good God is. And you know what this will do? It'll keep you from getting off track, getting discouraged, quitting, giving up. It'll keep you on track. I can tell you that for 42 years now, I've been seeking God with my whole heart. And this principle I'm talking about tonight is one of the most important things that I have never gotten over what God did in my life. I'm never going to get over it. 
I don't go a single day without thanking God for touching my life. Thanking God for the privilege of calling me into the ministry. If I was God, I wouldn't have chosen me. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'd pick somebody more talented. I'd pick somebody better looking. Somebody could talk better. I'd have done something different. I just am so thankful that God chose me. Man, I appreciate it. I thank him every day of my life for what God has done in my life. I've never gotten over it. I'm never going to get over it. And because of it, I'm as happy and as excited about God as I was 42 years ago. Plus, I got a lot more wisdom and experience now. And everything's better. I wouldn't go back. I'm more excited now and more blessed now than I was 42 years ago. How many people are talking about the good old days and when God used to touch them and stuff? Man, if your days aren't good, it's your fault. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I believe that God is speaking things to people. This is different than what most people think, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. I'm sharing these things from Scripture. I'm giving my testimony that this has changed my life. It's working for me, and I've seen it work for other people. And if you're up and down, and if you're in and out, and if you're sometimes happy and sometimes depressed and all of these things, why are you fighting so hard to hang on to the way you believe that caused all of that? If it's not working for you, why are you so resistant to change? Take the testimony of somebody. I'm telling you, I hadn't been depressed in 42 years, and I've had a lot of depressing things happen. Unless you're getting better results than I am, maybe you ought to change. I'd recommend it. You'll be blessed. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Let's just praise God. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you, Father, that you are a good God. That, Father, you haven't forsaken a one of us. That, Father, you have been nothing but good. You've forgiven us of our sins. If worse came to worse, we would die and go directly to heaven where we would spend eternity with you and there'll be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more poverty. Father, thank you for what you've done in our life. Thank you for touching us. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the body of Christ, for our brothers and sisters. Thank you that things are as good as they are. Father, I pray that people would just begin to start glorifying and magnifying you. And refresh what you've done. Thank you that you've never shut off your supply. It's us that have esteemed and glorified other things besides you. And Father, we want to put you first. We want to put first the kingdom of God. I pray for people here tonight, Father, that we would just receive this, implement it in our life, and walk out of here and never again look back. Never again go back to the yo-yo Christian life. That, Father, we would just go from glory to glory. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that you are making this real in people's lives. That you're burning this truth into their hearts so deep that it'll never come out. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We agree and we receive it. We thank you for it. Believe that you're doing that in Jesus' name.
Let me ask tonight that if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus personally, you need to be born again. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net, and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.